Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Knowledge to Practice is an organization that I founded back in 2014. Interestingly enough, because this is hit like a girl, you know, you'll notice the executive team of my company is all women. (laughs) I would want to solve for the ability for every patient to receive the very best care that is possible. This episode is brought to you by EHR Go. Go is a simulated electronic health record with a catalog of realistic and diverse patient care scenarios included. Go helps educators teach a human-centered approach to technology in healthcare. Find out more at healthpodcastnetwork.com forward slash go girl. That's healthpodcastnetwork.com forward slash G-O-G-I-R-L. Today's episode is brought to you by Trippy Bird, Inc., Trippy Bird is helping physicians achieve their best MIP scores in the CMS Quality Payment Program. Their team of regulatory experts will support you with all four MIPS categories and even help keep you audit-proof in the MIPS program. You can join their ranks of exceptional performers and get started today by going to www.chirpybirdinc.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where we're dedicated to amplifying the career journey, accomplishments, and lessons learned of women everywhere. I'm your host, Joy Rios. And I'm your other host, Robin Roberts. During the day, together we run a health IT consultancy known as Chirpy Bird Inc., where we get to geek out on all things healthcare, technology, and policy. But along the way, Joy noticed that so many women were running organizations, but too few were leading or being recognized. So we decided to change that. Together, we're learning about the puzzle that is healthcare and sharing what we find with you, our listeners. You can expect us to be talking with some pretty badass women. We will even be exploring how the pandemic is impacting many of their professional lives this season. We've also formed a private community of both guests and listeners over on Slack to help make connections, offer support to one another, and share the resources we come across. If you want to join us, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com forward slash community. And this week, our Hit Like a Girl Pod Slack community shout outs go to Amy, Ayla, Christine, Corinne, and Jennifer G. A special virtual high five goes to Corinne for her success in negotiating a title change from director to VP at work and advocating for two other colleagues to join her team. High five. All right, enough already. There are too many awesome women to talk with. Let's get started. 
today we're sharing our conversation with Mary Ellen Beliveau, the CEO of Knowledge to Practice, an educational platform that empowers frontline teams to deliver the best quality care to their patients. We learned a lot from our talk with Mary Ellen and think you will too. So let's get started. So Mary Ellen, thank you for joining us today. These days, we liken healthcare to a 5,000-piece puzzle, and we believe no one can be an expert at everything. But tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and a little bit about your piece of the healthcare puzzle. Awesome. Yeah. Knowledge to Practice is an organization that I founded back in 2014, and we are a leading provider of personalized competency-based lifelong learning for practicing physicians, hospitals, and healthcare systems, really focusing on helping them to improve the delivery of value-based care. That's right up our alley. We love value-based care conversations. So can you tell us more about what it is that you do for them and with them? I was drawn into healthcare because I actually have a daughter with congenital heart disease. And so she needed an angiogram at six months and open heart at 12 months. And we were at, you know, one of the top hospitals in Boston at the time. And Inevitably, when you have a young child going through such serious interventions, you become very close to your care team and you recognize how brilliant they are, how passionate they are about the care that they give, and you get real close to them. And as the various mistakes were made in my daughter's care, I really made a personal mission to try to advocate for physicians and the tools that they would need so that they could keep up with the rate of development and be able to always be practicing at the top of a license. So I made that emotional sort of pivot in my career, if you will, after my daughter was on the other side of her open heart surgery. That's really interesting. So can you tell us what it is that you are setting up clinicians and physicians to learn? My background is abs- is actually in adult learning. My undergrad degree was in business and my graduate degree in adult learning and instructional design. And so I have an, a passion for the way the adult brain works. And one of the things that I recognized as I got connected to healthcare was really they have sort of an old school approach to education where the academician thought leaders are really taught how to lecture, but they're not really taught how to teach. And so I thought there would be an opportunity for me to build an organization in this space that could really make a difference and help the subject matter experts really deliver information in a way that makes it easy for physicians to assimilate and recall and retain. And so one of the things we really focus on is what we call on-the-go learning or, you know, making learning a lifestyle. So we chunk down our curriculum as small as possible. And so in one module, there might be seven discrete activities that create up that module. And if you traverse the whole module, you would have comprehensive perspective. But the reality is providers on the front lines and in their space of care don't have the same practice gaps or knowledge gaps, right? So the ability to chunk them into small pieces and have them have clarity about where they lack mastery enables them to go in and get exactly what they need when they need it and be able to take it in in the way that they want. So someone might need to traverse all seven activities in a module or someone might only need one. And so we're letting them have perspective on where they haven't lacked mastery and be 
able to access that piece of content that they need at that moment in time so that this content can be accessed both synchronous and asynchronous with care. So our content is all clinical in nature. So when we're supporting value-based care, we're taking content that works across the care team from the acute care setting to the inpatient setting to the outpatient setting. And because they all have such, you know, they have different professions and they have different specialty areas that they work in, we're focusing on bringing them the clinical excellence across those topic areas that are most complex and difficult. And so we're working on distilling them down, making sure they're staying on top of emerging medicine and also having the basic building blocks refreshed as they need to be refreshed based on guidelines. I love how you guys staying at the edge of what's going on, but have also turned it into kind of a choose-your-own-adventure to personalize the learning. Do they get CME for all of this as well, Mary Ellen? Yeah, both CME and MOC for all of the content. We're an accredited provider, and so yes, they can receive both CME and MOC, and we track it all for them. And I'm looking at your website and seeing that you know you have modules that are as short as five minutes long, which is pretty incredible. Does this match up with like quality measures or things that are being tracked within the quality payment program and value-based care initiatives? Exactly. I'm really, I'm really glad you accessed that. So, so you, if you think about heart failure and the readmission challenges, you would recognize that that's a key area that the various providers at the various stages of care struggle with. And so we bring the design of our curriculum through critical lenses. One is the profession. So whether it's an MD or an APP, and just to break down APP for those not in in this space, APP is advanced practice practitioner. So think PharmD, nurse practitioner, and physician's assistant. So What we do is we break it down by profession and then we bring it by specialty area. So we differentiate what an ED physician might approach things from a hospitalist and what their training is. And then we think about the stage of care and what type of care the patient needs when they're in the acute setting versus the inpatient setting and the outpatient setting. So we know the the physicians in the ED can't be experts in heart failure. So our job is to bring the experts in heart failure to them and distill the leading edge clinical perspective that they need to deliver the best care, whether they're in the acute setting or the inpatient setting or the outpatient setting. So for our complex diseases, we work across heart failure, acute coronary syndrome, atrial fibrillation, stroke, sepsis, diabetes, improved diagnostic accuracy, COPD. So the list goes on. It's It's a building curriculum. One of our most recent complex diseases actually was COVID, which is really taking off in the marketplace. We just actually released to 25,000 providers in South Carolina and were sponsored by Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina to deliver it. And it's really spreading really rapidly in terms of engagement by physicians and the heavy use of engagement in South Carolina. You know, Mary Ellen, when we talk about continuing education, the maintenance of certification, the MOC, and the continuing medical education, the CME aspects of things, there's a lot of different choices out there and for people to go attain this information. What are the nuances that make you guys so unique, you know, aside from kind of the the micronized cutting edge learning? 
is it the ability to personalize by facility or what is it about the style and the way you're doing things that makes it so desirable? I think there's a, a couple things. First and foremost, when I, I think one of the challenges in delivering value-based care is that our education system remains in a very old-fashioned model where the medical specialty societies focus only on the specific providers that they are dedicated to, right? That, that that association exists for. And that doesn't necessarily help the organization deliver value-based care. And they end up oftentimes with driving discontinuity of care. And so one of the things that we think about is someone needs to think across that team and across that spectrum. So I think our ability to actually do our needs assessment across the various users, thinking about their role as a professional, thinking about the specialty areas, and then looking at a disease state that needs continuity of care in a common set of knowledge. Nobody's really doing that. So I think that's the first thing that makes it different, right, is having a shared piece of knowledge at the core. I think the second thing is if you're Looking towards the future and you're recognizing the role of the APP going to change, there's really a desperate need to unify their education. And when you look at healthcare systems, inability to, to create continuity of care and connect those teams together, part of it is really about the dedication to knowing what their role is in professional development of their workforce. If you step outside of healthcare, right, most organizations that we know of know that investing in your human resources is critical to the value of your value proposition to your marketplace. And interestingly enough, in a space where learning has to do with saving humans' lives in an area where the rate of development literally outstrips physicians' ability to keep up. Someone inside the healthcare system is, you know, really needs to recognize what their role is. To date, historically, you've had individual physicians thinking autonomously. They've been trained to be autonomous since they went to medical school, and they use stipends that they're given to maintain their credentials. And what that does is that ends up with individuals going out, getting their own education, generally lacking the ability to even assess where they have or lack mastery. And so the second thing that we bring through that personalized curriculum is a self-assessment that enables each individual to see, how do I stand relative to my competencies that I'm expected to have intact? If you think about adults as learners, we typically aren't very good at self-assessing ourselves. And if you look at a physician, they're particularly not very good at it. If you think about they're at the bedside with a patient's life in their hands, they need to be able to make decisions quickly. They need to have a high level of confidence. So it's very natural, right, for them to have, and they would need to have confidence to make those decisions. So the challenge is how in a safe way do you help them have an objective self-perspective? And they're good people. They want to do good care. As, as long as you're committed to enabling them to self-assess where, where they maybe missed a guideline or they just haven't kept up with emerging medicine, and they will dive in and they will engage 
engage in that content. I think those are really, if I had to separate the our three points of differentiation, it's really the interdisciplinary care team and sharing a core set of curriculum. And it's respecting the place where care is delivered and that lens through the type of care that's delivered various across the various settings of care. And then lastly, to your point, the, the personalization aspect and enabling them to traverse the content uniquely after having a perspective about where they have in learned mastery. Hi, listeners. Does technology and healthcare education sometimes feel like the tail wagging the dog? You should check out EHR Go. Go uses case-based learning to teach a human-centered approach to technology and healthcare education. With more than 300 multifaceted patient cases presented in a realistic, simulated electronic health record, Go helps students build clinical judgment skills and learn to effectively document within an EHR. When working in Go, students must evaluate and organize competing healthcare needs into levels of urgency while making simple to complex clinical judgments about their patient care, just like in real life. Used in all educational healthcare disciplines, Go can be used within or between programs and is the ideal platform for interprofessional education. Web-based, with no software to download or maintain, Go can be used on any computer or browser for in-person learning or for remote or hybrid lessons. Go is the only educational platform that puts human care at the heart of technology. Learn more about Go by visiting healthpodcastnetwork.com forward slash go girl. That's healthpodcastnetwork.com forward slash G-O-G-I-R-L. So I'm curious based on where you stand, because you clearly have a lot of goals of where you would like to be able to support healthcare and the professionals that work within the system. When you think about what problems do you see them facing, if you literally had a magic wand and could solve anything, take away money, take away time, take away any sort of resource as one of the things or challenges that stand in your way, if you could snap your fingers and just say, boom, we're done, we've solved this problem, what would you solve for and why? I would want to solve for the ability for every patient to receive the very best care that is possible. And I think that I would hope that we would have enabled that through the quality of our curriculum design and our ability to leverage ed tech to deliver in meaningful and unique ways for the individual. And so I think if we can stand in physician's shoes and enable them to be at the top of their license and work better together as a team, we will have helped to deliver value-based care. And we all know the points of value-based care, but we will be more efficient. It will be more patient-centric and the team will work better together. It won't be a forced team sort of simply rounding together, but it will be a team that actually relies on one another and they understand how the professions add value to that spectrum of care and how they work better together as a team. So for us, it's it really comes down to not just reducing the care of cost, but really about delivering the very best care to each and every patient and making it accessible 
to socioeconomically challenged folks. So those would be the things that I would hope that we as a company, if could make an impact on. You know, as you talk about your daughter and her heart condition and the challenges you all faced early on and the ability for anyone to get care seamlessly or at the top of anyone's game across the country, I can definitely relate to that because our son was diagnosed with a rare disease in 2016. And as we joined a rare community of patients and families and people that are being newly diagnosed with this condition to look at the variation of what goes on throughout the country institutions, settings, systems, big academic medicine to small community hospitals, the ability to do that, which you just articulated, is clearly lacking. And whether it's something that's being dealt with that is commonplace and someone has resources or doesn't for a myriad of reasons, it varies. But I think what you're talking about and the way people are even trained fundamentally is a great basis from where to be where to begin. I'm sorry for your individual experience, and I can absolutely relate to what you're talking about. And those communities are supportive for sure as we each go through the processes of dealing with with sick children. But when you understand the disparities of care, it makes it so much more sad. Like you, I can tell you so many things that I experienced and that's what really made myself committed to leveraging technology to bring guidance to providers so that they could be at the top of their game. And I think, you know, one of the things we think about, and I hope this is where we start to make a difference, but we very much think about that community hospital versus that academic medical center because both need to be at their top of their game. But you also have to respect that their purposes are different, right? A tertiary care center, quaternary care center has a different goal and mission than a community hospital or even a trauma center, right? They're going to have different cultures. They're going to have different processes. And so I think that's the challenge, right? That these healthcare systems, they're, they're trying to service, you know, their zip code and they're trying to lower the cost of care and they're trying to think end to end. But it's really hard to drive continuity of care when you're trying to have everyone have the same culture and the same value proposition when, when they don't and, and really they shouldn't. And so that's why I'm hoping If you look at how we design our advisory board and our faculty, we will always have a blend of MD and PhD. We'll always have sort of a pop health value-based care leader. We'll have the subspecialty expertise. We'll have the APP or PharmD at the table. And we're iterating with them. And oftentimes it's that community hospital, whether it's an MD or an APP in the community setting that says, wait, 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 this is what they're struggling with that helps us deepen our needs assessment and really come back with a real robust set of curriculum that can be uniquely traversed. And and I think it's, it's understanding those different settings. It's not about so many health systems try to have every setting to have the same set of protocols. And I actually, I don't think that's really where the future lies. I think it's about understanding the needs that you're meeting in the spectrum of care, in in the sort of neighborhood slash community that you're delivering care and delivering it in the best way possible in that setting. And that's that's really what we're striving to do with, with our curriculum and enable access to content that is going to vary by person, which means that concept of personalization and chunking it into small pieces makes it much more efficient and effective for the team. I think 
if you look at our data and then you look at the dashboards that the C-suite or the administrators are able to see, that's where we get back to, Joy, what you were talking about earlier, which is how do you link into the quality of care? That's where you can start to see we actually have, if you have knowledge and skill deficits, there's no way if you improve your processes that the quality of heart failure care is going to get better in itself, right? And that's why you've seen sort of variable improvements from quality improvement initiatives because sort of knowledge and skill has been left off because everyone's assumed, well, they're physicians, they're well-educated and they have stipends and they can educate themselves. And when you look at the set of tools that are out there, which is often podium-based destination meetings, it's just not the case, right? And so... I think one of the things that, that we enable is if you're working across a health system, we can actually break our data down by a community hospital, by the academic medical center, and they can start to intuitively see where how they better support their workforce and how we leverage our curriculum to sort of rise all boats, if you will. Hey there, sorry to interrupt. If you like the vibe of this podcast, you're going to love our private Slack community. It's super supportive, ladies-only pod where we offer real talk, real advice, and genuine engagement to our members to help them stay inspired and level up. To join, just go to hitlikeagirlpod.com forward slash community. All right, now let's get back to the show. I really like the way that it's so kind of whole systems thinking, the way that you have have presented all of this, because clearly you're like laser focused on trying to get better outcomes for patients, but that shows up in how do you set up their doctors and practitioners to best do that and offer them that. So that's really impressive, Mary Ellen. Thank you for sharing everything that you've done and what you're up to, because it sounds like it's very impactful. We have a terrific team. We have fun doing what we do. And I think we're lucky to have a generation of young folks that are so mission-driven. There, There isn't really a member of K2P that hasn't been touched in one way or another from failures in our, in our healthcare system. And in fact, we have somebody you might see on my social media. We, we just started a fundraiser for one of our employees who sadly has a son that has a very rare, about 25 babies a year get diagnosed with this cancer. And he's you know battling for his life at Johns Hopkins right now. And really everyone in our company just automatically chipped in, spread out the fundraiser on their social media. And, you know, we real just, the team is real connected. And the, the more we talk about the lives that we've changed of individuals or health systems or the way, it, you know, people are practicing medicine and we influence it, the, the more meaningful people's day-to-day jobs are. So we're lucky to have a great team and we have fun doing what we're doing. And it's intellectually challenging and stimulating to work with some of the top thought leaders in the space and understand some of the challenges in delivering care and, and how do we help ease their lives a little bit with delivering them meaningful education. In a way, it sounds like you have built in empathy at all levels of your organization. I think that actually is the truth. And I'm not sure, unfortunately, how conscious I was about that. 
but it has evolved. And I think it's interestingly enough, because this is hit like a girl, you know, you'll notice the executive team of my company is all women. (laughs) And so I do think that brings empathy through and makes it a core part of our culture for sure. Well, we love that as a value. And speaking of women, what advice would you give to other women that are you know, either wanting to do something similar to what you're doing or want to follow in your shoes or just in general in the profession of healthcare? I think there's a couple of things I would give as advice is is one, be true to yourself in your leadership style and follow your dreams and just don't give up. The second thing I would say is be committed to mentoring other women and supporting their growth and their rise in their own personal career, even if sometimes that means they need to leave you for their next stage of growth. But really being committed, I think women think differently. And I think having a balance at the top of healthcare organizations of men and women, and I think is an important is an important aspect of having a more comprehensive perspective of our workforce and the patients of tomorrow. I love that. I think that's something that we've been waking up to that, well, one, that there's not a limited number of seats at the table or that there's not just for, and, you know, that, that there's only a, only one woman allowed and we're all competing for a position. But instead, each woman's success is all of our success. And that by supporting each other, we're also, even just by supporting another woman, you're also supporting all the women in her network or anybody who even just sees that. And just like creating the culture of mentorship, empowerment and support and whatever way we can offer to each other, I think it has a larger effect of just changing the culture altogether. So you might feel like a micro, but I think eventually turns into a macro. I couldn't agree with you more, Joy. That's, you, you articulated it much better than I did. That, that was my sentiment that I was trying to convey. And I, I think if I had anything else to add to that, it would be... And this isn't comfortable for all women. I I, I recently had an interesting conversation with one of our clinical leaders on our team. And we were talking about making someone a chairman of one of our advisory boards, a, a big thought leader out of Boston. And I had titled him chairman. And she said, why don't you call him chairperson? And I said, I'm chair of the board of a community hospital and I call myself chairwoman. Why would I call myself chairperson? That would make it seem like I was embarrassed to be a woman. And I don't think you should be embarrassed to be a man, like be authentic to yourself. And, you know, whether you're gender fluid or male or female or non-binary, whatever it is, believe in that and be authentic to yourself. And, you know, it was the first time she looked at, she looked at it through that lens and she said, oh, I get it. I said, so I'm going to call him chairman because he is a man. <laughs> so it's being authentic to yourself and not being ashamed of, of being a woman or not feeling like you have to act differently or behave differently or compete on a different level. For most of my career, I've really never looked at myself as a female. I've looked at myself as a professional trying to deliver as much value as I can to the world. Yeah, I really like that. I mean, one book that has influenced a lot of our conversations lately is we even had a like public book club about it called Invisible Women. And it really collected all the data around just how much how much data, how much our, our world is really built 
for men and by men and sort of around men, we literally just don't see it. And so it's kind of nice to be able to have a shift in language to your point and really call out like, okay, men shouldn't necessarily be the default of everything, just as women shouldn't also be the default of That's everything right. either. We ha- there has to be some sort of balance where everybody gets, you know, fair representation. I'd imagine. That's right. Because neutralizing it is depersonalizing it, right? So agreed. You know, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, Mary Ellen, if people would like to find you online, do you have socials that they can follow? And if they want to work with you or get involved with your organization, what would be the best way for them to do so? Yeah, you can either connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Mary Ellen Beliveau, no dots or cats, Mary Ellen dot Beliveau, K, and then the number two, and then the letter P forward slash. That's my LinkedIn. And you can also email me at mbelliveau, it's B-E-L-I-V, as in Victor, E-A-U, at K, the number two, the letter P, dot com. Well, thank you for joining us today, Mary Ellen. It's great to meet you and learn more about what K2P is doing. We really appreciate you sharing your enthusiasm and passion for what you're doing. Thanks, Robin. It was great to meet you and Joy and great to have a conversation today. Thanks for inviting me. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon. Thank you to Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. You can find out more about them at www.chirpybirdinc.com.